This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. Uh, If you've brought a Bible with you, uh, I'll invite you now to take that out and open that or slide that open. Uh, We are in the book of Exodus Uh, And if you've been tracking along with us, uh, we've been in Exodus for quite a while now. Uh, We're trying to cover the back end of this book um, in in a short amount of time. So uh, we're taking really larger sections, either one chapter at a time or multiple chapters at a time to kind of capture some of the themes uh, because some of this kind of later material in the book can be a a little tedious as far as Uh, preaching uh, goes. So uh, we're in Exodus chapter 24 today. Before I read the passage, um, I know some of you have been doing some travel, uh, hit and miss, seeing each other this summer. Uh, My family, we've we've pretty much been laying low for the most part, but uh, early in the summer we took a a little, uh, actually it wasn't even family, it was just Heather and I left the kids behind on this one. Uh, We went up to Colorado uh, for just a few days just to get away up into the mountains. And I've done a little bit of hiking uh, before. I would, I would by no means call myself like a hiker, um, but I've done some hiking even with some of you. And if, you, if you've done hiking, you'll know that um, uh, Colorado boasts of 14,000-foot mountains. Uh, they call them, you know, 14ers. Uh, we don't have any here, at least to my knowledge, I don't think. In New Mexico, I've done a, a couple of the 13ers, but Colorado, you know, they, they boast that extra 1,000 feet on us. And as we, were, as we were driving, we were driving up north, we were going up to kind of the Vale area, some schwanky resort we were going to hang out up at for a little while. There was this, it's a beautiful drive. Uh, we had rented a car, uh, which by the way, this is, this is free commercial. It was a Mini Cooper. And I feel like um, somebody in our church drives a Mini Cooper because I saw one. So whoever you are that drives a Mini Cooper, I need to talk to you after service because I am officially obsessed with Mini Coopers right now because the drive was, was incredible. But as we were, we were driving up north uh, through these mountains of Colorado, um, I, I saw a sign and it, and it said, you know, 14,000 some feet, name of the mountain, and, you know, right there. And it was like 14,000. I was like, wow, that's pretty impressive. And I was like, you know, told Heather all about 14ers. And, and so we were like, wow, that's impressive. And then like half a mile or maybe a couple miles later, we saw another sign. I thought, wow, two like in this stretch, like there, and then it just got, it just got nauseating. It was like sign after sign after sign. There was like seven, you know, signs in this, you know, in this stretch of, of road. And I thought, okay, this is, this is ridiculous. I finally had to just Google, like how many 14ers are there in Colorado? And in fact, according to Google, there's 58 of them. So I was just, at this point, I was just annoyed and underwhelmed. Like it's not that impressive to drive by a 14er in Colorado, apparently. Um, the book of Exodus could feel like that a little bit. Um, if you've been with us through, throughout this series, there are a lot of like uh, high water marks for God's people, um, you know, beginning in their you know, incredible deliverance from uh, Egyptian bondage uh, from in Egypt under Pharaoh uh, to the parting of the Red Sea to the falling of the manna, uh, you know, to, to God providing water out of a rock. It's like you know, climactic event after climactic event after climactic event, and it's it kind of, you know, at some point maybe could become a little underwhelming. Um, here's, here's my suggestion. I think Exodus chapter 24 is the true peak of the book of Exodus. I think that the events that happen in this chapter 
are, it's, it's the top of the mountain. And, and literally, we are at a mountain. So, you know, the stretch of the imagination on the metaphor isn't, isn't too, too far-fetched. But like this is the peak of events. That God climactically meets with his people in a unique way in Exodus chapter 24. Um, scholars and commentators who, you know, who write the thick books and spill lots of ink on the Bible, um, they, they use the language of Exodus chapter 24 is what is called a covenant ratification ceremony. Um, you don't have to write that down. But, but here, here's, here's my take on, on what, what, what will translate into your life. What's happening in Exodus chapter 24 is a wedding. God is marrying his people in chapter 24. And it is nothing short of, of the climax of this book. Let me go ahead and read. I'm going to read the whole chapter, Exodus chapter 24. Um, so if you're following along, uh, please do that. If you're not, it's, it's a narrative, so you should be able to listen along. This is God's word from Exodus chapter 24. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. And then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. This is the word of the living God. Let's pray and ask him that he would bless the preaching of it. Let's pray together. Father, I pray 
um, that these events that are recorded for us in the scriptures uh, would be made alive. That you would that you would enlighten our eyes and open our hearts and unstop our ears so that we could hear, see, and believe the good news about your son, Jesus Christ, and your marriage of your people, and your, your death-defying commitment uh, to making us your own. Lord, we need your help. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, there's a uh, YouTube video that's been it's been around for a while. Um, I didn't I didn't get the the date on it, but it's been around for a while. It's called the Stillface Experiment. Uh, you can search that; it'll it'll pop up. Um, the Stillface Experiment. And what it is is it is a a video of a of a young child, um, probably 12 months or so. You know, pretty pretty young child in in a chair uh, with with their mother um, right in front of them. Um, attuning to them what, what would be called attunement, a connection with a face-to-face interaction. And, you know, the video, it shows a, a number of different kind of progressive movements in the importance of face-to-face interaction for children. And so the beginning of the video is, you know, a mother, you know, with full affection and connection to her child interacting, and you see the child just, you know, light up and pointing to the room and very engaged, you know, with mom. Um, and, then, and, then they, and then the experiment component of it begins. And what they, what they do is they have the mom kind of turn, turn her face around away from the child. And then when she comes back to the child, um, she's, she's still-faced. Like no, no affect, no emotion. And what you see in, in the video is the child... Um, progressively grasping for mom's, you know, emotion, right? She's, she's, the, the child's like, please connect with me. And it's kind of almost painful to watch because, you know, this is an experiment, but the mom just remains still-faced throughout the, you know, it's a couple minutes long. And the, the, the further along the, the, the child gets without connecting with the mom, the child just begins getting upset, right? there's no repair here, what is going on, and just starts getting fussy and really wiggly and wants out of the chair and is crying. And then, and then the experiment's over and the, and the mom just comes back, right? Her face re-engages with the child and immediately the child is soothed, right? Her ache is relieved, like, okay, mom, mom is, is back with me. And uh, the, the, the doc, I think it's a doctor in the video who's like kind of, talking about the importance of this face-to-face connection at, for children, he says, um, you know, for, for children, there's the good, the bad, and the ugly. The, the good is, is when you're connected with your, with your child and you're having, you know, face-to-face connection with them, that's the good. The bad is when you lose connection, but then you kind of repair it, right? Like, oh, everything's going to be okay. And then the ugly, which is the point of the experiment, is when a child doesn't connect with the face of their parent and how um, disrupted they are and how detached they are and how much they need repair with their parent. He, ta- he calls that the ugly. Super insightful, you know, just experiment on humanity. Here's what I know about all of us um, young children and adults alike, is that we were made 
um, for face-to-face connection with the divine. We were made um, to connect um, with the face of God. And, uh, you know, the, the, the passage here, um, it, it, this, this passage is, is showing us how to connect with God's face. Like, what, what are the means of connecting with God's face? But, but before we, we get there, I, I want you to feel your need for that. Because here's, here, here's, here's a question I want you to ponder. And I've done this from, if you've been around our church, you've heard me do this before. But what is the expression that you see on God's face when he looks at you? Like, what is God's face like? Is it disappointed? Um, Is it just distant, like disengaged with you, like not really concerned about you? Or or maybe maybe it's angry, Maybe it's just really ratcheted up and you just God is just mad at you. Or, or maybe it's not quite that high. Maybe he's just like mildly annoyed. Like he just kind of looks at, at your life. He sees your flaws. He sees your mistakes. And he's just, he's just annoyed with you. Um, I, recently in a, in a book I'm reading, uh, in, the, in the preface, uh, the author said, um, I've spent 50 years of my life wiping the face of my father off of God's face. And I found that incredibly insightful. Uh, not, just, not just fathers, mothers, any authority figures in your life, but like whatever you think God is like, whatever you think God's face looks like towards you, my deepest, deepest prayer and desire is that after you encounter this passage and the God of this passage, that your mind will be changed. Because here's what, I think, here's, here's what I think this passage is showing us. It's showing us a wedding. And I haven't, I haven't officiated a wedding in a while, uh, but that is one of the, the, the privileges of my, of my job is I get to you know, officiate some of your weddings. And the best part, you know what the best part of the wedding is? Um, I, I know what you think the best part of the wedding is. You think the best part of the wedding is when the bride comes out of the room in my opinion, the best part of the wedding is the face of the groom when his bride comes out of the room. You know, so if you look at a groom who's been, you know, diligently trying not to see his bride all day and she comes out, you know, adorned in white. I don't know if girls are wearing veils these days, but like the veils, are girls, I don't know, girls wearing veils, uh, but like she's coming down the aisle towards the groom. I, I regularly, regularly watch the groom's face because it is beaming with joy and delight and gladness and excitement for what is coming towards him. And I would suggest to you today that the face of God is like that towards his people. That the face of God is not one of disappointment, discouragement, distance, anger, annoyance, but it is one of beaming joy and delight toward those who belong to him. And I want you to see today from this passage this. I want you to see because uh, what you see in, in, the, in, the, in the text itself is God is inviting us to come up. 
the repetition in the Hebrews, it's, it's obvious. It says, come up, come up, come up. He keeps inviting Moses to come up the mountain, come up the mountain, come up the mountain. Here's, here's what I want you to see from this passage today. That Jesus Christ came down the mountain to show you God's face so that you could go up the mountain to feel God's face. Because here's what I think is true of many of you today. Many of you know about God's face being like that. Very few of you have actually experienced God's face like that in your life. You know it intellectually. You know it theologically. You can talk about it, write about it, read about it, discuss it. But very few of you have experienced the beaming pride, joy, and delightful face of God toward you in your life. Oh, that God would, oh, that God would make you feel that today. Here's how we're going to look at it. Um, we're going to look at the ceremony first. So we're going to talk about the wedding component of the passage. Uh, then we're going to look at the, the celebration part of the passage. And then we're going to look at the consummation of it. So let's talk first about uh, the ceremony. And this is primarily the first eight verses of the chapter. Uh, what we learn um, from the outset is that God's love is so immense that it requires mediation. Uh, that God's people cannot just freely go into the presence of his loving face um, because it, they simply they can't bear it. They, cannot, they would not be able to contain the presence of God's fullness. So the mediator Moses is, is chosen along with Aaron, who's, who's going to be a high priest, and his two sons, Nadab and Abihu, as well as 70 elders. So that, that's who's chosen to mediate for God's people to go into God's presence. And the passage says in verse 2, that it says, listen, only Moses can come near. Only Moses can be the mediator. Everybody else has to, what the text says, is worship from afar. Uh, that can be translated a couple ways. It could be spatial distance. That's part of it. So they were, they were to go up near God, but not too close. So there was a spatial distance. But, but another translation of that phrase is face down. They were to be, they were to be prost, prost, prostrate on the ground. Like face down, you cannot see God's face. So immediately we see the immensity of God's love requires mediation. You can't, there, there needs, you have to have a go-between. You cannot handle it on your own. So, um, so, so that's the veil, right? Again, I don't know if, if women are wearing veils anymore. It's kind of old school, but that's where the concept of the veil comes. You cannot go into God's presence unveiled. You have to have something between you. Um, but then in verse three, uh, what we see is the people taking their vows, so it's, rep it's repetitive throughout the passage. You know, the book of the covenants read, hey, this, these are the rules, right? This is what it means to be in a marriage relationship with God. You've got to, you know, you've you got to, until I will, I will keep my, I will be faithful to you, to, to only you, right? And they, you know, the Israelites, will find out later, they, they kind of outkicked their coverage here. They, they said more than they could do, right? They said, yes, God, we're going to do everything you said, and it's only going to be a little later till they just, you know, abandon the whole thing. But so they kind of outkick their, their coverage. But, but they're saying like the vows, right? I will, I will be faithful to you if you'll be faithful to me. Let's, let's get into this marriage relationship together. That's what the reading of the vows uh, portion of the ceremony is like. But then it gets a little weird. 
uh, verses 4 to 8, that's when some of the, the altars and the pillars and the blood offerings come. Now, you know, I know that this is not typically part of the modern day wedding ceremony. Um, you know, uni- unity candle maybe, blood offerings not so much. Um, but here's what's happening. Because this is a ceremony where God's saying, listen, I am getting into a committed relationship with you. You're getting into a committed relationship with me. And here's, here's what this means. Uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to require um, that blood be shed. Because here's, here's, what ha- here's what the animal thing's all about. If you've ever been curious about the Bible and what's with the, bu- the Bible, you know, killing of the animals, here's what it's about. It's looking at those animals saying, listen, if, if either of us, the, the two parties involved, God or his people, if either of us breaks our end of the marriage relationship, then do to me like, like it's done to these animals. Kill me uh, like these animals have been killed. And so, you know, Moses, you know, he has his, the people go get the, the offerings. They put the, the uh, animals to death. They take some of the blood, put it on the altar. They put some, half of the blood into a bowl, and then they sprinkle the rest onto the people. And what they're saying is like, listen, all parties involved in this relationship are in it until death do us part kind of relationship. This is, you know, this is what will happen if someone leaves this relationship, death. Um, and so here's, here's where, our, you know, it's, it's important for us to see how where we are at um, on, the, on the arc of history is different from where these people were at. So we, you know, we find ourselves situated thousands of years after these events. And so we read these events in entirely different light uh, because we read these events in light of the good news of the arrival of Jesus Christ. So let me just, let me just kind of, this is, you know, this is like an insert addition to this text from the New Testament. So like what is, you know, what does the New Testament and the arrival of Jesus have to do with this passage? And here's, here's my summary of it. Um, Jesus came and he kept the vows of the relationship. So God becomes a man. You know, he, he puts himself under the authority of all these laws. All of the commandments of God were over Jesus' life, and he perfectly, flawlessly, you know, without any mess-ups at all, he perfectly keeps the vows of the relationship. If you want to see what a life lived uh, in relationship with God looks like, you look no further than Jesus' life. So he keeps the vows. And, and, if, you know, and what that deserved was, you know, if you keep the vows, then you, you deserve to be in honoring relationship with God. But Jesus, you know, he came to do the will of his father. And what was the will of his father? That he would be crushed for the sins of his people. Isaiah chapter 53. And so Jesus comes and not only does he keep the vows, but then he willingly dies like he was a vow breaker. So like those animals on the altar at the mountain, Jesus is like, do to me like, like deserves to be done to them. So he says, I will represent my people in their vow keeping and in their vow breaking. And so what we see in Jesus' death is him suffering the consequences of what it means to be unfaithful to God, to break the vows. Um, but, the, but the best part of the news, and you can read more about this. I thought about reading, reading this, but you know, being outdoors, we're not doing much technology and it's hard to, to listen with reading long passages of scripture, but in Hebrews chapter 9 and 10, which is in the New Testament, 
um, the author of Hebrews, who we don't really know who that is, um, expands on these events of Exodus chapter 24. And here's my, here's my summary of what he says. Um, Jesus secured God's smile for us by rising from death to life. In other words, you know, the, he kept the vows, paid the consequences for us breaking the vows, and then promised he would eternally keep us from ever suffering the consequences of breaking our vows. So that's the good news. He lived the life that we should have lived, died the death that all of us deserve, and then eternally secured that, that God would not change his mind about us. He secured God's smile for us. That, that's the ceremony of verses 1 to 8. That is what is happening on Mount Sinai. God is securing a relationship with his people. So then what, is, what does the celebration look like? If you look, if you look at verses 9 um, to 11. And here's, here's the thing about the celebration. is it, it, It's still tempered, right? Like there's still regulations to it. Um, but, they, but they're able to go into God's presence, right? They pass through into the cloud. And in and, and verse 11, see, verse 11 says this. God did not lay his hand on the chief men of the pe- people of Israel. In other words, he's saying, listen, what should have happened was God should have crushed them. Like, if, if God would have laid his hand on them, metaphorically speaking, they literally would have been crushed. And so, you know, he's saying, listen, they went in, they saw God. They saw his feet. They could only see his feet. And underneath his feet, actually, is what the text says. And so the, the ultimate celebration, right, the ultimate act of intimate connection is to see God. And these people got to see God, although only in part. And then, and then the celebration, you know, it culminates at the end of verse 11. So God didn't crush them. Instead, they beheld God and they ate and drank. I mean, just sit with that for a minute. Like, we, we don't know the details of this meal. Um, some suggest maybe they took a portion of, of the animal sacri- sacrifices and, and ate that. Um, we, we, we don't, again, we're not privy to this information, but we, we do know this, you know, that the celebration is to see God and to eat and drink with God. Does that sound like anything you've ever heard before? Does that not echo, you know, the New Testament talking about, you know, the marriage supper of the Lamb? That Jesus Christ is preparing an eternal feast for God's people. Uh, as the book of Corinthians says, that we will see God as he is and we shall become like him. So again, this passage, it's a type, it's a shadow of the substance of the things that are coming. This passage is meant um, to lead you into deeper connection with God, not only in your uh, eternal, eternal life, uh, which which is fully anticipated, but into your life now, because here's, here's what I think most, most of us are missing out on. We think this offer is for the future when it's actually for now. We think that we're waiting for something, and we are. 
when it's actually in front of us right now? And, and maybe, and maybe even literally here. That God has uniquely supplied a way for us to see his face and to feel the warmth of it in our lives in the daily. So then what does is, what is the consummation of everything look like? And this is kind of the closing verses 12 to 18. Um, the consummation of it all is that Moses goes into the cloud um, for 40 days and for 40 nights. Uh, you know, I don't think I have to tell you, but I, but I will. 40, 40 days is significant in the Bible. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a significant thing. Uh, you know, Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness. Um, and, and so, you know, Moses goes in to the unknown. And here's the thing. If you're here today as a Christian, and I'm, and I'm not suggesting everyone is a Christian, but I am assuming many of you are. If you're here today as a Christian, uh, what the New Testament teaches is that if you are um, believing on the work of Jesus Christ, you are uh, what the Bible calls in union with him. It's Paul's famous phrase, you are in Christ. And I think for some of us, you know, it's, it's, that's just, you know, theological words that have no meaning for you. Um, to be in union with Christ is to have an actual spiritual connection with him to go where he goes. And so, you know, Moses was the mediator for the old covenant. Jesus Christ is the true and better Moses. He's the one who mediates the new covenant and he takes his people into the cloud. He takes us into the mystical. He takes us into the unknown. He takes us into the dark. Um, I don't always uh, read like the early church fathers. I'm I'm not great at that, Um, but I did stumble upon one of them. His name's Gregory of of Nyssa. uh, And he commented, uh, he, he actually wrote a whole book called The Life of Moses. And I didn't read the whole book, but I did scroll down to his section commenting on Mount Sinai. And he said this, and I found it incredibly insightful, and I hope you will too. He said this, that to associate intimately with God, you must go beyond all that is visible and believe that the divine is there where the understanding does not reach. To intimately associate with God, you must go into the unknown and you must believe that the divine is there. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna just stay high level on application and, then, and I wanna just kind of land with an invitation to us all today. Um, I wonder um, how many of us, particularly those of you who've been Christians for many, many years, have been unwilling to go into the unknown with God. Um, it feels really risky. It feels dark. It feels uncomfortable. Um, but here's, here's, and here's the invitation, is I think um, you're missing out on a whole lot of spiritual life with God. Uh, my hunch is that we are, we are really good, particularly in American Western Christianity, like Bible-believing churches like ours, we are really good in trafficking in the visible. We're really good at, you know, doing life at the surface, right? Like, you know, we want to be like good Bible readers and interpreters and we want to like pray and do community outreach. And like, those are all great, wonderful things. Like we, we should and we will do those things as a church. But I wonder um, if God, if you're in union with God through Christ, if he's asking you to go into the cloud, 
like to go into like these hard, unknown spaces of your life and, and, and he'll meet you there. Because I think that's what he's inviting us to. And I, and I wonder, and I'll, I'll just close with this, um, this kind of connection. I wonder if so many of us um, are just really just, just very familiar with just dating, the dating scene with God. Like it's, it's casual in relationship. Like you, you want to be in relationship with him, um, but it's, it's, it's nothing more than dating. Um, I don't have a great engagement story. In fact, if you ask uh, Heather about our engagement story, she's actually really kind about it. I'm pretty hard on it. We, we just don't have this great engagement story. In fact, I didn't even get down on a knee. Like how I regret that to this day. Didn't even get down on the knee. Um, but, but, you know, like the, the, engage, the idea of being engaged to God is what it means to be a Christian now. Uh, you are married to him already, like legally, but the wedding day is still coming. And in some way, I, I wonder, um, again, just being curious pastor friend, I wonder if God has been like proposing to you in your life and you've kind of just been like giving him the standoff a little bit. Like I've, I'm not really interested in going into reconciling that relationship or going down that road or discovering those things about myself. Like, and, and here's the thing, you know, Jesus in Revelation chapter three, he's talking to a church there and he says, um, and, I'm, and I'm paraphrasing, but he says, listen, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And that, that passage is taken out of context and abused so much, but he's talking to believers actually. He's saying, listen, I stand at the door and I knock and anyone who lets me in, I will come in with him and, and we'll do what? I'll eat with him. I will dine with them, is what the text says. And here's the thing about the God of the Bible, and this might ruffle some of your feathers. Um, he is interested in your consent. Like, he's never overbearing. Like, can he knock down your door, come into your life, into those hard places, and, and do the work? Sure, he could, but he's not like that. What he wants you to do is he wants you to unlock the door and welcome him in. He wants you to take the proposal and say, I want to go into the dark, unknown, mystical cloud of the spiritual life with you, God. And, and that is where life is found. Jesus Christ said, I came to give them life and life abundant. How content have we grown with just life? Who wants life abundant? Friends, Exodus chapter 24 is God saying, listen, I've done everything required of you to be in marriage with me. The burden is not yours. I came and I took the burden from you. Um, you, you. You do not have to impress me to get my face. You do not have to perform for me to get my face. You just have to want my face. And Exodus 24 is an invitation to look God in the face in the person and work of Jesus Christ and to see his glory on you. Do you want to feel that? I sure do. Let's pray together. Father, we uh, sometimes feel so removed from the events of the Bible. I pray that that would not be the case with this, Lord. I pray that we would see on Mount Sinai uh, the God of the heavens above uh, descending below uh, to secure our relationship with you. Lord, I, I know there's people here who are keeping you at a distance.
because it's comfortable, it's safe. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would, that you by your spirit would, would help them to feel ready uh, to go into the cloud, the spiritual life with you, to unlock the parts of their heart where they don't want you in and that you would meet them there with your eternal kindness. Lord, my prayer for our church at Mosaic and, and the church across the world is that our relationship with you would be lived out Uh, with depth and honesty and in our realities, uh, not in the life that we've drawn up for ourselves. So Lord, would you do that in our little small body of followers here? Uh, Would you help us to receive the invitation? Would you help us to be married to your son, Jesus Christ? And would you help us to feel your face, the face of a groom looking down the aisle at his people, warm, delightful, um, and happy? We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. This is the sermon podcast for Mosaic Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Committed to bringing the beauty of the gospel of Jesus to the broken places of our lives. 